0: I feel like Gordon Bombay would have taken his career to even further heights. Everything's flashy, everything's cocaine, everything's fun.
1: Open wide for some soccer. I don't
0: care what you think about what your personal thoughts are at home. I care that you hate the Cowboys. Call this
1: college rule!
0: Welcome back to the sports experience podcast. I'm Chris. This is Dom. We're just a couple of comics here. We're talking comics. We're actually in a block series of uh, fathers and sons in sports. Uh, real quick, before we get started, I want to say the please go subscribe to our YouTube channel, like, comment, all of that good thing. Um, Subscribe to our Instagram. Uh, We always record right here at uh, Angle Studio for all your recording needs. He'll literally record you farting on a snare drum if you want it. (laughs) Who are we talking about today?
1: Today we are going with, uh, I won't call it wasted talent, but it was talent that wasn't quite realized, but a fantastic baseball player during the 60s and 70s. Let's talk about Bobby Bonds. Not
0: Barry, bobby bonds bobby bonds this is the father figure um i thought it was interesting because his play style is pretty much the way you want players nowadays
1: yeah no he's the like, ultimate five two you want to know why his son was good even before he became a mutant because this guy was the right handed version of him yeah seriously the i mean that's the best way to describe him um Let's get into it, Chris. Born March 15th, 1946 in Riverside, California. Bobby Lee Bonds, born to Robert and Elizabeth. Um, Youngest of four kids. Robert, I got to say, he has a brother named Robert Jr. And you have a Bobby... Go by Bobbert or... so. Like, name the kid Bob. I don't understand well, this. Do
0: you think that Robert, his older brother, was just a troubled kid, and then when they had him, they were like, you know what, we're going to take a second shot at this.
1: You're <laughs> well, Bobby. We're going to find out how good his brother and the rest of... He comes from a very athletic family. Yes. Uh, uh, Robert Jr., David, and a sister, Rosie. Um, Robert Jr. Uh, excelled in football and basketball, uh, played college football at San Jose State, was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals of the NFL. Remember, they played in St. Louis for a while. And also the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFL. I think that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, and then his other brother and sister, Uh,
0: Olympians.
1: Yeah, so um, track star, uh, the 1960 state champ of the uh, 120-yard high hurdles and uh, 180-yard low hurdles was the first person in California State track... uh, meet history uh, to do the high hurdles in under 14 seconds. That's ridiculous. So very, very athletic family. And David um, was good at football, but his career ended when he broke his collarbone in a car accident. And Rosie was the track and field U.S. uh, record holder in the 80-meter hurdles and was part of the 64 Olympic team. What? Not only running track, watching Al Order, throw those discuses. <laughs> is, is, is. That's a ama- Dude, like that is some ridiculous bloodlines right there for yep. sports. Um, let's get into here. Uh, Bobby spent his childhood uh, riding bikes, swimming, uh, playing baseball, and he caddied at a local golf course that had a gopher problem, Chris. And they needed a man named Carl. No, I'm just joking, but he took care of the gophers.
0: Well, he had a very, just a It was normal, an idyllic childhood. Yeah, I mean, uh, 50s kind of life where he grew up, but he was very... It's like fucking Mayberry. It, it, <laughs> well, he was kind of in this family, though, that was obviously very athletic. That's yeah. the thing I imagine in their town was like, I bet the Bonds were just no, known for being...
1: The best at everything, yeah. I mean, baseball was
0: his main sport, unlike his brothers. Baseball was his
1: main sport. Um, his little league coach said at 12, he averaged a home run per game. He was stronger than anyone, faster than anyone, more powerful than anyone because it speed and power, you know, that dynamic because speed's the name of the game. But it's I mean, like game. I said, we talk about five tool players uh, on this podcast, you know, where you can hit for average, hit for power, run throw
0: and field, right? So he had all of that. He had all of it. It's, it's interesting to think about how really great he was at those tools too, because he wasn't just kind of like average at all of them. Like he was a great power hitter. He was a really a great leadoff. Six one, one Six one, one ninety yep. speed for days.
1: Ridiculous. Like, I mean, and people will compare him to a future teammate of mm-hmm. his who is arguably, if not the greatest, one of the top five best baseball players who's ever lived. Um, there was a story about him in high school where he played baseball and he ran track because obviously, with his family, you're probably going to run track. On the same day, he played. They had a baseball game and a track meet. He was playing center field and running track for the hundred yard dash um, during the game, or and doing the long jump too. Um, he would climb over the fence. The game, they'd stop the game to let him go and do it. Oh yeah, to win. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they would stop the game. He'd climb over the fence. And uh, his friend Dickie Johnson said, he has his baseball uniform on and no time to warm up. He ran the 100 in 9.8 seconds in his baseball cleats, then climbed over the fence, played a few innings, returned to the track, and broad jumped 24 feet, 11 inches. That was in baseball cleats, too. He
0: said, I swear to God that happened, he was that good. Well, that's how athletic this family was. That's how athletic he was. And that's why I bet people were salivating for him coming out of high school.
1: Oh, yeah. But uh, Bobby has, I don't know what you'd call them, but he started drinking at a very early age. Yes. And uh, this was one of the things where he drank before sporting events, too like almost doc ellis because you don't want to be out there playing naked chris you don't want to do that uh he allegedly drank before his 25 foot three inch broad jump um he would uh sit under the bleachers and drink a can of beer um he grew up with dusty baker famous baseball player and manager um his dad uh Dusty's dad would always try and uh, keep him in line, but uh, he knew what he was doing when he was going behind the bleachers, and Bobby's response would basically always just be, Mr. Baker, I don't do this. Mr. Baker, I don't do that. So he's kind of keeping—that part is not out of the bag quite yet.
0: But it's still pretty—I mean— By today's standards, it's pretty egregious, you know what I mean? But, I mean,
1: then again, high school athletes aren't doing that before games. They have training and shit like that. I mean, this is probably where they're smoking cigarettes on the field, Chris. Uh, I like it. In 1963, um, he marries his next-door neighbor, uh, Patricia Howard, and in 1964, graduates high school, and later that summer signs with the San Francisco Giants.
0: I thought that was pretty cool that he literally... Marries his high school sweetheart when they're like 17. I know, that's crazy. He's like, all right, and then signs for the Giants, gets into their minor league program. 1965, Ooh. Class
1: A Lexington in the Western oh. Carolinas League. He encounters some not-California attitudes out there.
0: Well, he's been in California his whole life. He goes out there. There's two types of attitudes he got. He got a little bit of, uh, little bit of hatred, but there was this older woman. Let me tell you about
1: it. Oh, that. man, this older woman. She... Let's she just say it's his game. Let's just say it's more democratic that way, Chris. That's correct. But the types of, let's just say Bobby, as much as he's killing it on the field, because um, Hallanier is his manager. His son Max plays for the team, and Max is Hal's asking about him. Max is like, he's the greatest ball player I've ever seen.
0: Well, that's the thing that you'll see is um, if you're really good, if you're standing out, especially in this era, opposing fans are going to hate you. His own. Teams, fans were talking shit. That's oh, what yeah. I thought was so. It, that's what's so ridiculous about this kind of era was well, the racism. Chris, is the South has ninety nine problems
1: and guns and secession are all of them. Yes, no shit. And but he leads the league in runs, uh, tied for second in dingers, fourth in batting average. But the Giants realize, wow, this guy is great. Let's have him not rush into the stands and kill someone. Let's send him to the California League. Yep. So, so. they send him to Fresno in nineteen sixty six. Uh, finishes in the top 10 in runs, homers, stolen bases. In 1967, he goes to Waterbury, which is the hometown of famed golfer Happy Gilmore. Uh, second in RBIs, third in Dingers, but a uh, little crestfallen, though, after such a great year because he's invited to sp- um, spring training,
0: but he does not make the 68 opening day roster. I thought that was interesting um, because I felt like if you look at the way he was playing in uh, Fresno, it looked like they were just like gearing gearing him up to be this next guy and he goes to spring training and just doesn't make it.
1: Yeah. Um, 68, he starts the year with Triple A Phoenix back when they had minor league teams there. Oh, well, I can guess you can call the Diamondbacks a minor league team now. That's all right. Uh, he had a they had to promote him after sixty games because he was hitting 370 with a 1.049 OPS. And in June 25th, 1968, makes his Major League debut, and
0: he starts with a bang, Chris. Quite a debut, I'll have to say. Um, the not making it in spring training, I wonder if it really just lit that fire that he was just like, oh, I'm not oh, the Oh, it's next like Frank ride. Thomas. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of, because he comes in day one and just pulls out his salami for everybody to see. <laughs>
1: Third at bat, he hits a grand slam in his first game, and he's playing right field next to Willie freaking Mays. Uh,
0: I thought it was interesting. He was the first modern day because there was yeah. a guy back in like 1889 that did it uh, <laughs> that hit a grand slam on his uh, debut. And it had to have been like quite the like, I'm here now. Yeah. <laughs> Look at Wake this. fuck
1: up, everybody. Yep. Um, finishes the year, um, two fifty four average, nine homers, and thirty five RBIs, and sixteen stolen bases. So the Giants have a new leadoff hitter. Yes, basically pretty what much I'm straight up. Um, in nineteen sixty nine, uh, leads the uh, NL in runs, uh, has a t- with one hundred twenty runs. Has a 259 batting average, 32 uh, homers, 25 doubles, 6 triples. Take that, Frank Thomas. 90 RB... He's a leadoff hitter, and he has 90 RBIs. The pitcher hits in fucking front of you! I know, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> he was such a valuable piece. 45 stolen bases, caught only four times. So he's people always talk about like 40-40 club, you know, Jose Canseco, Alex Rodriguez, Soriano and his son eventually Barry mm-hmm. Bonds. This is the original 30-30. He probably should have had a 40-40 season. Um he uh led the uh but he leads the league because this is why he'd be a perfect player now. He struck out 187 times.
0: Well, I saw this um somebody was saying about him in this season. they were like he is a standout player for his speed, Mm -hmm. for his batting strength, for his ability to strike out because this guy is just striking out left and right. But that was the thing was like he was so adamant about putting the ball into play because he knew that once he was on base, it was that much better.
1: I mean, as much as I hate the way the game is played now with the strikeouts, I'm going to look, and guys are striking out now way more than Bobby Bonds did. When you're racking up um, sixty plus extra base hits a season. I'm gonna overlook that. I was gonna driving say, that's in ninety not, runs. It, like it's, with,
0: with his other stats, that stat isn't so glaring. Like if it was you know, the eighth guy on your roster and he's hitting like 119. You're just like, all right, buddy, you gotta go back down to the minors. You're not our shortstop. But it, it's you see him strike out like crazy and he does the same thing the next year.
1: Yeah, so 1970, he leads the Major League Baseball in at-bats, but he also sets a Major League record that stood until maybe 10 years ago with 189 whiffs. And then they just keep breaking it nowadays. But, but. here's the thing career high 134 runs 200 hits 36 doubles 10 triples 48 stolen bases he hit 302 he's the only guy in mlb history with 200 hits and 180 strikeouts in this i'm taking the 180 strikeouts
0: yeah no i'll take it why wouldn't you like literally his uh, everything else is is very productive so the strikeouts i don't think is a big thing um i feel like nowadays they'd be like we need our, our leadoff guy to walk more. And you're just like, no, 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 no. He's going to put the ball in the play, and that's what's going to happen. He's going
1: to be legging him out. <laughs> yep.
0: 71, the Giants
1: have a really good year, actually, yes. and so does Bonds, because people are like talking, this is the next Willie Mays, playing next to Willie Mays. Um, 71, he makes his first all-star game, wins a gold glove, hits 288, uh, 32 doubles, 33 homers, 102 RBIs. Um, fourth in the MVP voting that year. Um, The Giants win the NL West, um, but uh, end up facing Doc Ellis and the Pirates in the uh, the eventual world champion Pirates yep. in the NLCS. Uh, only goes two for eight in the series uh, against them. He comes
0: in injured. Uh, yeah. This mm-hmm. was kind of one of those things that sucks after a really long season is uh, he, I think he gets put in like right at the end of game one, so he barely plays game one, doesn't play game two, plays game three and four. Um, yeah, ends up going two and eight, and he just said he was... He was injured, so I mean, it's one of those things where he... its, it's... Could have made the difference in the series, yes. if you think about it. Yes. Um, 72, bit of a down year as far as
1: batting average, 259. Still 118 runs, uh, 26 dingers, 44 stolen bases, and 80 RBIs. But I think in 1973, though, is when he has his best season, yeah. his best professional baseball season. Um, is an all-star, is actually the MVP of the all-star game. He hits a homer and a double in. Wins a gold glove, third in the MVP. He leads the league in total bases this year 341. Um, Led the league in runs and strikeouts, of course. Of course. Um, 37 homers, 96 RBIs, 43 stolen bases. That's. Guys can do that now and they're considered elite. Doing this
0: in the 70s? That's ridiculous. He really was the only guy doing it. It wasn't. He was in a class of himself. Um, I think he's NL Player of the Year that year. Um, I, I agree with you. where seventy three, he looks like the player for the decade. And he's now the player for the Giants
1: because in May of that year, it was also kind of a difficult season. May eleventh, um, Willie Mays is traded to the Mets, mm-hmm. and he was quoted as saying, "When Willie left, half of me left. I just went through the motions after that." I had no desire, no determination. It was one of the worst things I could have done um, to feel that way. And that's really sad, dude, because they had developed a bond, as we'll probably get into in our next episode. Willie's actually the unofficial godfather of Barry Bonds. That's right. Um, So after the All-Star game, though, I did want to bring up Sparky Anderson, who was the Reds' manager, said, as of today, Bobby Bonds is the best baseball player in America and even Sal Bando, uh, World Series champion for the A's, third baseman, said he's the most dynamic hitter I've ever seen. Like, he's a star in the making. And you're thinking, man, the Giants have someone to ride for the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, he was the Sporting News NL Player of the Year. But uh, the offseason and even during the season, the issues with drinking start coming up and for
0: Bobby. That's the thing that people are saying was, uh, will he gets traded? And he almost kind of like detaches to where he almost is just like blatantly drinking. Yeah, you know what I mean, like no. in every, in people's faces, almost to be like, "Yeah, fuck you." And that's trust where I, me, I've never had those problems. Yeah, before. and that's where I feel like the Giants were actually kind of right with this, where he was this up and coming star, but they're like, "We can't control him." Under the
1: surface, yeah, uh, August twelfth um, of that year at his brother's house at a picnic discussed drinking lots of beer drove home 60 miles but he ends up getting in a wreck one mile from the house and gets a dui and then uh november 29th um he's in the car with his brother robert so bobby and robert together (laughs) um pulled over for speeding uh the cop and his brother were getting into it so obviously bobby intervened and uh He basically has the mentality of an addict where he says, everybody has problems, but I'm no troublemaker. I'm no drunk. I went 27 years without getting into any kind of trouble. Nobody in our family has ever been in trouble, but it all happened at once. Yep. So just kind of deflecting that blame there. Yep. And uh, the next season, 1974, um, has a career on 95 walks, but only 21 dingers and 71 RBIs, 41 steals and gets a gold glove again. I believe it's his third one. Um, uh, but at this point, the Giants are not necessarily the caliber of like the Reds and the Dodgers in that division. He's really kind of the one carrying them. Um, in the off season with contract negotiations with Giants owner Horace Stoneham, Bobby comes in and he's not very happy about uh, what they're proposing. Um altercation breaks out shouting match and after the argument stoneham said he's finished he'll never play another game for us again
0: well he thought he should be for me being paid more all of that kind of stuff
1: and this is pre-free i think the pre-free agency too so this is still some reserve clause fucking bullshit
0: so there was definitely that feeling and i mean we see the this relationship break at that point, and he's pretty much on the trading block. So to me, this is where,
1: even with the drinking, had they just kept him, mm-hmm. and the front office people were telling Stone, "I'm like, this is stupid. Just bring him in. We yes, need him.
0: We need to talk. We need to resolve this."
1: This is where he goes from being a potential Hall of Famer if he keeps his shit together into arguably Major League Baseball's biggest vagabond. Mm-hmm. Um. So in uh, October 22nd, 1974, uh, they traded the Yankees for Bobby Mercer. Um, you brought it up before Glenn Dickey of the San Francisco Chronicle. He covered the Giants for like freaking ever. He basically said they were certain that Bobby's career, like the the scuttlebutt was, the Giants were certain his career would end prematurely because of the drinking.
0: Yeah, yeah. and that to Giants credit, like this wasn't the era of helping your players. No, this is... This is the era of dumping, being like, this is your problem. What Rehab? The hell? What is that, yeah, What pussy? the hell is your problem? So trade him off to the Yankees. Um, uh, but I want to point
1: out, not only was this a fucking turning point in Bons' career, the Giants, they just continued to get ass-blasted by the Reds and the the Dodgers for the next decade and a half. Yeah, I think at least. I think the next time... They made, the, they made the playoffs and won their division was 1987. So, I mean, that's a long gap. Um, in 1975, um, the Yankees were doing pretty well until they, about midseason. They kind of ended up tanking. But Bobby played most of this season with torn cartilage in his knee, um, making a diving catch on June 7th. But uh, was a starter in the All-Star game. He played well. The rest of the Yankees didn't do too well around him. 32 homers, 30 stolen bases. Um, 30, 30, 30, 30 again. Um, but the Yankees aren't particularly thrilled after this season. Um, they needed to start making some moves as their, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Their, uh, general manager, Gabe Paul, he's compared it to a uh, rolling dice and, uh, said, I'm not blaming Bobby bonds for that, for the way the team finished. Um, you just got to keep, uh, uh, Compared it to a uh, game of craps, essentially.
0: Well, I thought it was interesting because Bobby felt like he deserved to be a Yankee for longer. This was. This is right before they win two World Series. Right, yep. And this was right after he gets traded from the Giants, which he had been on for a long time. So he really didn't think he was just going to be traded, traded. But, traded to the Angels for uh,
1: Ed Figueroa and uh, center fielder Mickey Rivers, who yep. was on those 77-7. Yep. and 70, Well, they win. Actually, the Yankees win the AL in 76, 77-78. They lose to the Reds in 76, but they win two in a row.
0: Um,
1: but he was happy to play in California again.
0: Um, he did like I, I heard that, but uh, the – Like you were saying, he felt like the Yankees team around him was good. He felt like he played good enough to stay. They ended up trading him to the Angels, and this is when we see him just start to pretty much bounce around. I think the Angels is his longest stay.
1: Yeah, it's too – I mean, this is the fucking Johnny Cash song. I've been everywhere, man. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) Um so 76 kind of injury plagued he has a chip bone in his right hand um that he suffered during a spring training game uh, sliding into the plate um he ended the season uh, opted for surgery even though coming back on august 9th 1976 um hit 265 and 378 at bats but uh, he said he doesn't want to embarrass himself in front of half a million people like just have a surgery and you know shut it down for the year um, 77. There were high expectations, though, for California at that time. Uh, they added Don Baylor, uh, Bobby Gritch, and Joe Rudy in the offseason. Um, to go with Nolan Ryan, our man Nolan Ryan, and Frank Tanana. I and he know. had a good season. He had a terrific season. Um, he uh, hit 264, 103. This is what you want out of your leadoff. Yeah, game. 37 dingers, 41 stolen bases. But the other two, guys, the other three guys, they got. Combined for 116 games, Gritch and Rudy, and then Baylor had a bad year, and the team finished, I think, 77-84. and So unrealized expectations. The offseason, though, this is where I don't think the drinking came into play. This is where just the business of baseball. The hired gun. Yeah.
0: Because he goes to the uh, White Sox, and the White Sox, I think it was the GM was talking about the— Bill Vec, our disco demolition man. The— mentality of buying someone so i think barrett i think bobby's in the last year of his yeah so he either has a year or two years left and they call this renting a player so you literally trade him for this one year to try and put him in to be like
1: deadline and then
0: if you have a good season you can kind of offer him a contract or he's gone yes so he said this he was like a rent a player strategy and it was horrible so for
1: them the, the way i can best break this down though is the what him and his manager were talking about with Bo, with Bobby was he was going to play 78 with the Angels play out his deal if he's healthy he's probably going to do even better than he did in 77 the contract that he would command because free agency's a thing now yep the Angels weren't able they weren't going to have enough dough to keep him yeah so um he was even sad when they traded him um on uh, December 5th 1977 um to the white Sox, um he'd even talked about looking for a home in anaheim yeah and he discusses that in other places we'll talk about later um but when he goes to the white Sox, what happens is uh they start nine and twenty so that rent a player strategy no bueno and on uh may 16th 1978 he's traded to the texas rangers for our man rusty torres our
0: fans behaving badly. Baseball forfeit master Rusty Torres. Well, it locks in this other episode for us, but this is the thing that you and Claudel Washington. I'm <laughs> sorry, I just, I. This is a pro Rusty Torres podcast, very much so. Uh, but this is the thing that you see is if he had consistency in one city, one team, he really could have had a 40-40 season, I feel like. so. Oh,
1: that's what he was in San Francisco when he played for him all
0: those years. And then the one time he's in, uh, I always want to call him Anaheim, uh, or whatever. California California, California. of um,
1: Orange County, Anaheim, Los Angeles, exactly.
0: Ventura, <laughs> Imperial Valley, I don't know. Uh, I always want to, but that's the thing, is his second year, he had a great year if they had the money for free free agency, he probably could have Baylor and fucking Gritch and Rudy. He probably could have had another great year. That's the thing that kind of sucks about this kind of career. So he goes to the Rangers and uh, has a good
1: year. He's good. 267, 93 runs, 31 dingers, 90 RBIs and 43 stolen bases. Um, There were rumors that August of a potential trade of him, even again to the Cleveland Indians. And he said, I'll retire before I go to Cleveland. I thought that was great. Which is, Billy Martins was good, but this is just to the point, like, is Lou Brown there? Yep. Nah, I don't nah. want to play for them. Um, he signs a five-year deal with the Rangers, and this kind of comes back to bite him in the ass. Because after 78... um. He said he never would have traded it if he knew he could have a no-trade clause. Oh yeah, He never would have signed the contract if he knew there was a no-trade clause. And the reason he also doesn't want to go to Cleveland, besides the fact it's fucking Cleveland, is their general manager is Gabe Paul, the same guy who traded him from the Yankees to the Angels in the first place. Um, He said he uh, wanted a seven-year deal um, from the Rangers owner, uh, Brad Corbett, um, started building a home. Traded. Traded. October 3rd, 1978, traded along with Len Barker. You know who Len Barker is? No. He pitched a perfect game for the Indians. Oh. Okay. Um, it was, I think, the fewest attended perfect game ever because it was at Municipal Stadium.
0: That's wonderful. there yeah. was like, 12 people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Arsenio Hall and his friend are t- tipping up the seats. It's the three guys in the back. Too high. Too <laughs> high? <laughs> Too what does, high. does that even mean? <laughs> Not- Wild thing. <laughs> yep. don't, dun, dun, dun you make my house
1: <laughs> he said uh uh he said he'd uh, end up retiring if he was traded to cleveland but then he said i have nothing against cleveland i love baseball but my family comes first I never said I wouldn't play in Cleveland. I just didn't
0: want to. Yeah, which is... That was actually legit. He was just like, I'm not going to retire. I'm making a shit ton of money. I just don't want to go to Cleveland. We don't want to go there on away games. I don't know what you're... It is the Tucson of the Rust Belt. Mm. I like it. Um,
1: the best season, though, um, he does pretty well. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of the end of his prime, but in 79, 275, 24 doubles, 25 dingers, 85 RBIs, 34 stolen bases. He also leads the league, though, no in sti- caught stealing uh, 23 times. Um, wants a salary increase from 440 k to 650 k Um, this year he, uh, ends up hitting his 300th Homer and this was made him the only guy not named Willie Mays to join the 300, 400 club. Um, but because he wants this big salary raise and Cleveland doesn't draw dick, the weather's lousy. Someone's going to have to start feeding cha-cha real dog food. (laughs) December 7th, 1979, he's traded to the Cardinals for John Denny and, uh, Jerry Mumphrey um Unfortunately uh in the nineteen eighty season uh he's injured. He's hit on the wrist by a pitch on uh, april also on April seventeenth he's uh aggravated it by sliding it into second base and uh goes on the d l for an extended period of time and falls out of favor with Cardinal's manager whitey Herzog
0: well I find this interesting because like you said, we see in the Indians for, in Cleveland he has a good season he asks for by today's standards... Nothing. Nothing. He would have signed a $400 million contract. Um, and that's the thing that's kind of crazy is he he asked for like $100,000 too much. They trade him to the Cardinals and his career kind of... It peters out because that's the thing. If you show me one player not named Reggie Sanders who goes from team to team like this and yeah. does anything productive, but you see how good he could have been if one of these teams just stuck and stayed, Angels, Indians, Rangers, Rangers, even they signed maybe him to not the- so much
1: Cleveland, but yeah. <laughs> um, in the spring that year, Rick Hummel of the Sporting News wrote, and this is kind of getting into what we've been talking about. Bonds has been looked at as a messiah wherever he has gone, but when his team didn't win a pennant, he was looked at as an albatross. Yeah, that's very true. when you get that reputation, you just start team the team. Um, There were no takers in a trade. Um, So three days before Christmas, he's released by the Cardinals, but ends up getting back into the league. He's on a minor league contract with the Rangers on April 7th, uh, 1981. They called him up, but he had a stiff neck and didn't report. (laughs) June 4th, um, his contract was purchased by the Cubs um, the same day the Cubs were playing against the Pirates. um, Broke his finger, um, diving after a fly ball. And then, unfortunately, after that, the strike happens because it wouldn't be a baseball podcast without some labor stoppage. It's true. Returns uh, August 10th, but only hits 215 with six homers and is released that October 23rd um april or not april may 18th 1982 he signs back with the yankees spends 28 games triple a columbus hits 179 and is re- basically released less than a month later which is pretty goddamn sad if you ask me to yeah have it end like
0: that it's almost a career that it, it's a little bit of a what if even though it's a Unbelievable career with all the 3030s, three gold gloves. He was it's Mr. Not, 33. He's yeah. the original 3030. He was 100%. Um, there's a song by uh, Terry Cashman back uh-huh. in 81 called Talking Baseball, and he said in the song he put, Bobby Bonds can play anyone. You know or, For anyone.
1: Uh, you know what? Show parodied that song in a certain softball episode between God damn the right. nuclear
0: plant. I was hoping somebody would fucking <laughs> catch that. Uh, cool. Ah. Uh, Somebody's son played for that softball team. <laughs> so uh,
1: after his playing career was over, he was a hitting coach with the Indians, uh, which is odd that he'd go back to Cleveland.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, they offered it 84 for, to 87.
1: Yep, three years. Um, after, uh, that, after he was fired uh, is when he finally started going to A.A., and uh, getting sober and then he eventually made his way back to coaching under his friend Dusty Baker from 93 to 96 coaching his son Barry that's right the San Francisco Giants um, interesting stat here one of 21 players who has scored a thousand runs driven in a thousand runs who is not on the Hall of Fame yeah um, three-time All-Star three-time Gold Glove uh, All-Star MVP um, 302 doubles 332 home runs uh, 1,024 RBIs, 461 stolen bases. That's a that's
0: ridiculous. No, great statistics. And he's
1: lo- I mean, he's lost to history because of the trades and.
0: His son also yep. being overshadows the, him. You know. But like you were saying, he really was that five tool and he, he used all of it. Like he, we keep reiterating, I feel like the offense, he had three golden gloves. Yeah. That's something he that was is, fantastic
1: in right field. Yes.
0: So like, it, it's kind of crazy. I thought this was great for, um, because he really should have had more years as a giant. But he said that he, uh, coach scouted front office uh he was with the giant for 23 seasons yeah so i thought that was cool it should have been 30 it should have been more yeah and like i
1: said if he plays from 75 to just even 82 and just stays in san francisco
0: or he's on that yankee team
1: yeah i mean come on looking at probably a hall of famer or very borderline um he was a smoker his whole life too in addition to the drinking um and on uh, August 23rd, 2003, at age 57, uh, dies of a brain tumor. Um, was only God, 57 years old. I know. Uh, it,
0: it's really young. It really, a lot of the things with Bobby's life, you're like, damn, that sucks. Because he could have been a coach for, like, now. You know what I mean? Oh, There's easily. so much shit that he could have done nowadays. Well, it's um, this great guy.
1: Message in a Bronx tale. Yep. The saddest thing in life is wasted talent. But He didn't waste all of it, though. I mean, he was a damn fine ball player for a long time. So, Bobby Bonds.
0: Come back next week for his son, some guy named Barry. Some guy. Some dude.